Throughout the course of its development, Bioshock went through many different versions. First it took place on a spaceship, then it took place in a secret Nazi laboratory unearthed after years upon years. You were even once guided by a lecherous Colonel Sanders. In the end, however, Ken Levine and the design team at Irrational Games settled on a unique story and setting that was none of these things. Today we're all going to learn about the story of Bioshock and that of its lead designer Ken Levine. So would you kindly stick around and join us for yet another trip down memory card lane. Good afternoon and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 156th goddamn episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just something relevant to this week in gaming history. Whatever the hell I want, frankly. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're all going to learn about yet another game heralded as one of the greatest games of all time, the 2007 first-person shooter, Bioshock. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who is always trying to start some newfangled utopian society. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what's it going to be this time? Who did what, and what are we trying to get going well, Dave, Jack pushed Jill down the hill and it caused a bunch of chaos. There's riots everywhere. And quite frankly, we want to watch it all burn. And what's going to be different about the, this time? Uh, There won't be an orange man in the lead. Yeah. Oompa, loompa, no, doompa, dee, no, do. No. <laughs> Is that trademarked? <laughs> no. God damn it. I'm the political uh, one here. That was weird. I mean, hey, you know, sometimes I get in my groove. It looks like you brought backup today. You know what, Dave? You're right. Today we have with us my college friend, Daniel Rodebeck. Daniel, introduce yourself. Hello, I am Daniel Rodebeck. I played Bioshock many years ago. And I'm going to try to remember what happened. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's not a prerequisite for being on this podcast. Just uh, all you had to do was listen to a few of Rob's episodes and you'd find that out. So, oh, yeah, I know nothing about what's going on. But Dan, first time guest to our show, I have to ask, what is your first gaming memory? Oh, God, I know just off the cuff. Don't overthink it. What's the earliest gaming memory you can think of? I remember playing Ocarina of Time on the uh and 64 and being lost as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so me still nice. I was like maybe f five or eight at the time, like somewhere between five and eight. And uh, yeah, <laughs> didn't make a bit of sense. <laughs> it no. don't get any better. Nope. Sure doesn't. Sure doesn't. You try to figure out those Zelda timelines even now and you got nothing. Uh, All right. So, Dan, before we get into this, we have a tradition we do week by week. So I'm going to ask you this. 
what have you been playing this week? This week, I've been playing Phasmophobia and a little bit of Hades. Oh, Hades is such a good game. Yeah, there you go. Another person who understands because I Dave's shown me, but I haven't played. Hades is phenomenal. Oh, Ugh. it's such a great game. <laughs> you aren't as much into the narrative stuff as I am as part of it. Well, hey, I'll let you guys geek out about after. But okay. Dave, what about you? What have you been playing this week? I played. I started Horizon Forbidden West. Speaking of narrative games. Mm. And I also played through a couple shifts of the Mortuary Assistant. Interesting. Which is on your wish list, actually. I don't remember this one yet. Can you remind me? The Mortuary Assistant? It's a horror game in which you spend a night uh, in the overnight shift as a Mortuary Assistant. And there is a demon trying to possess you. And you have to basically do detective work between the embalming and other parts of the mortuary to try to determine which demons trying to possess you and then go through this whole ritual to banish it uh, before it possesses you. And let me guess, this was a VR game. No, it's not VR. Oh, no, it's not. It, oh, dude, it <laughs> it's, it's like jump. It's so good. If you like horror and jump scares, it is so good. If you like jump scares and, um, yeah, it's interesting. It's kind of repetitive because it's that like there's like five endings and you like you go through the same process every evening of like just bombing and it never really changes. So some people don't like it because of its repetitive nature, but um, it scares the crap out of me and I think it's fantastic. So I'm going to be honest when you're saying some people don't like it. Yeah, I thought you were we're referring to them getting embalmed. Oh, well, you know, <laughs> there is that too. Yeah, I don't like, know how I, many people would like that. It's like, I feel like that's uh, not very well looked at. <laughs> well, if you're alive, at least. So, Daniel, we know based on your opening comments that you have familiarity with Bioshock. Rob, do you have familiarity with Bioshock? I have played Bioshock 1. I did not beat it. Uh, I ultimately know the uh, the catch at the end. Um, but I mean, I, I know the gist of it. I, I played a few hours of it and I've definitely watched some playthroughs of it. So, you know, definitely not as much as someone who can actively say they played through it. But yes, familiar. Familiar. I know it. End of story. No, I, I know a little more than <laughs> it. Come on. Give me some credit on this one. So the lead designer in Bioshock was Ken Levine and Ken Levine didn't actually go to school to be a video game developer. We've heard this story time and time again throughout our history lessons week in week out. Instead, he studied drama at Vassar College. He graduated with a Bachelor of the Arts, uh, a, a drama Bachelor of the Arts in 1988. He then moved to Los Angeles to pursue a film career. And in L.A., he managed to write two screenplays before life would take him in a different direction. I don't know what those screenplays were or if they were ever, like, created. I mean, heck, I've written a screenplay, so I wouldn't go so far and be like, ooh, that's fascinating, you know, but it's what his Wikipedia says, so we're going to roll with it. Yeah, I remember your screenplay, Dave. Yeah, whatever. I still have my TV show in a book somewhere, like I wrote a whole season of a video game TV show. It's still sitting somewhere in this office. Wow, that one's the more interesting one. I wish I would make someday. 
1995, Levine was hired by Looking Glass Studios after replying to a job in that he saw in an ad in Next Generation magazine. Now, we've touched on titles that Looking Glass Studios has made at some point in our archives. They were founded as Blue Sky Productions in 1990, and as Blue Sky, they managed to capture the attention of Warren Spector at Origin Systems, who signed them into a publishing deal. He provided them with a license to his claim to fame, the Ultima series, and Blue Sky developed the Ultima Underworld game. I know, Rob, you haven't done anything with Ultima. Daniel, you have any familiarity with Ultima? Uh, nope. Cool. <laughs> Y'all make me feel so old every time we do this. I love it. Hey, at least Daniel's older than me, so he, you know, he only got a few more years on him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. In 1992, Blue Sky merged with a video game company called Learner Research and was rebranded as Looking Glass Technologies. Looking Glass's first game was Ultima Underworld 2 in 1993. Then they set off to work on System Shock, the 1994 first-person action-adventure game. Now I'm going to repeat the question. Any familiarity with System Shock? Um, I've heard of it, and I know they made a remake of the second game recently. They did, very recently. Rob? I've not played it. (laughs) That that was way more than I got. Okay, cool. No, nope. I'm not going to go too in-depth on System Shock because it's deserving of its own episode, frankly. System Shock is pretty much praised across the board. You can find it on multiple Hall of Fame lists for various publications. It is one of the key moments in this first-person shooting genre. Specifically what it is, it's a defining example of what it means to make an immersive simulation in the video game world. We didn't have many back then. It's very common now. But System Shock is one of those defining moments when we finally got an immersive sim. So it's it's special. And it was made by two very notable people. Uh, a legendary game designer, Doug Church, and Warren Spector, who of course we've done an episode on. And so when Ken Levine was hired onto the team at Looking Glass in 1995, he was lucky enough to be paired up with Doug Church to establish the fiction and design of Thief, the Dark Project. Have we played Thief at all? I've heard of it. (laughs) Another one. Cool. Still beat me too. I I don't, I haven't even heard of it. So I'm getting one up all day today. That's all right. We're good with that. So Thief again is one of those very notable games. You can find it. It literally is on the list of greatest games of all time. Multiple Hall of Fame lists. It's pretty much credited with bringing the stealth genre into the mainstream. It popularized stealth games flat out. Okay, uh, which, so in terms ahead. of games, this is one of the games that should go back in time and eliminate because I am terrible at stealth I was gonna, I That was actually my next statement. I hate stealth games. I have zero <laughs> patience for them. Like, <laughs> I have tried them. I have tried Thief. I know of Thief. I have tried Thief. I don't. I don't. It's just not my thing. So. So not a Splinter Cell fan? I've never been able to. I I mean, I've played them. I just don't. It, it's not my thing. I don't like the pay. Anytime. Anytime. The, the game I'm playing is a fantastic example, right? So I'm. Have you started Horizon Zero Dawn yet? No. Oh, geez, Louise. Did you I bought get that it for you. Yeah, yeah, like two Christmases ago. <laughs> Okay, so some of the other games I have, uh, I got for Christmas. 
I I have a ton of them too. All right, Ooh. so it's 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 an open world game. Horizon. You can pick the way you want to approach the the combat in the game, and it's always: Do I want to sneak up on these giant robot dinosaurs, or do I want to go in blasting? Of course, you know I'm gonna be like Frank Reynolds, and it's always sunny, and just start blasting. So. it's just my style i want to do anytime i'm presented with the option i'm going to go in all guns blazing and just murder through brute force that's my style or get destroyed because you went in with no stealth which i've seen many times i can't confirm that's his play style yeah that happens a lot too it's really (laughs) aggravating to people so it's my halo stance too when i need to be careful nope so but Thief is special. It's another game worth its own episode. Ken Levine is credited as its writer, and he's pretty much recognized him and Doug Church as the original designers of Thief. So he completed the work on Thief, and following that work, he left Looking Glass Studios, along with two other men, Jonathan Che and Robert Furnier, to found Irrational Games in 1997. Now, the studio's first game was designed by Ken Levine, and it was a sequel to System Shock. It's System Shock 2. It, too, is something special. It built upon all the success of the first game by adding on to it with character customization and character development. Now, these are for all purposes, very common now. I mean, we play first-person shooters all the time that have both, right? Sure. Yeah. But at the time, that wasn't the case. These were seen primarily as role-playing elements, and they were specific to the role-playing genre. So System Shock 2 was very unique, and it was special because it brought role-playing elements over to the first-person shooting genre. And that made it another one of those key moments in the first-person shooting genre. It's an incredibly influential game. We've talked about it, I wouldn't say recently. It's about three months now. But back about episode 147, we talked about one of the well-known games it expires, which was Deus Ex, along with that's the War Inspector episode, you know, created Deus Ex. That was just one of many games... um, off the top of my head, another is Prey, made by other teams influenced here. Any familiarity with Prey among you two? I think I've heard of it. Okay, cool. Well, sure. at least we've heard a, <laughs> at least at least we, we hear of everything. Not me. So, yeah. So Deus Ex, Prey, and of course, you know, we're, we're we're working our way into one of the other influences. So System Shock Two was released in 1999, and for the next few years, the team at Irrational Games. They worked on various projects. They worked on Freedom Force, which is a very high-rated, like, beat-em-up game. They worked on Tribes Vengeance, which is a very unique first-person shooter. They partnered with Sierra Online to create SWAT 4. I loved the SWAT series as a kid. SWAT 4 was taking that that, that type of procedural, you know, like, team-based cop-type thing and turning it into a first-person shooter. Um, so they did a lot of different things, but none of these projects were anything like the narrative first person shooter games that Ken Levine started his career with. You know, he had done the System Shock and he had done the Thief and now System Shock 2. 
And that was that was his thing. That's what he liked doing. But everything else was paying the bills at the time, you know? So at this point, Levine was really itching to get back to his 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 bread and butter. He wanted to get back to his style. He wanted to make a freeform game that had a very strong narrative. So about 2002, Levine and a design team designed, you know, they came up with a core gameplay mechanic. It was based on three groups of forces. There would be drones that would carry a desirable resource, protectors that would guard the drones, and harvesters that would attempt to take the resource from the drones. And they began to draw out the setting for a new game so that they could pitch us to various publishers and secure the funding to see a project through. That same year, later in 2002, they showed off a demonstration version. It was made in Unreal Engine 2. Just to give you an idea on how far this project goes back, that was played on the original Xbox. And it was set aboard a space station overtaken with genetically mutated monsters. The main character, his name was Carlos Coelho, he was a cult deprogrammer. He was charged with rescuing someone from a cult and helping them mentally readjust to normal life. Now, the team crafted a story that was fairly political in nature. Uh, the character, Carlos, was hired directly by a senator to save someone in the senator's family. And because of the political nature of this story, Irrational Games really struggled to find a publisher. They fought and fought and fought when they had no luck. They really considered scrapping the project altogether. But by this time, news about their efforts to create a spiritual successor to System Shock 2 had begun to like pop up in magazines, pop up on the internet. The gaming media took that and ran with it. And so now that they had all this notoriety behind the project, they opted to push forward and make it happen. By 2004, they had managed to find a publisher that was willing to publish the game primarily on the original concept, the drone, protector, and harvester trio. At this point, they had changed the story. It now took place in, in an abandoned World War II-era Nazi lab that had been recently unearthed by 21st century scientists. And over the decades, as this lab was buried and underground, the genetic experiments within the lab had gradually formed themselves into an ecosystem that was based on those three original groups. Now, this version was revealed in 2004, and while it was similar to what we know now as the final version of Bioshock, of course, we also know that there are plenty of changes that occurred before we get there, right? Yeah. Um, Story-wise, well, that's that's not what we ended up with. The Nazis were a little less obvious in the final version. Still kind of present, but not quite. <laughs> that's very true. We also know that at this point in the development process, things were not going smooth. Members of the design team were getting frustrated by all the design changes. Now we were on our second iteration of a complete story. Levine would later say in an interview that it was the result of Irrational Games' design principle at the time, and that was the concept that they put game design first. So the game design, the game systems, everything was designed, and then all of the other elements, story and UI and everything else had to be changed to fit the mold. 
and there was a lot of internal strife. In a short time period, the team at Irrational went from six design members to 60-60 people working on the project altogether. The environments were bland. They were said to be bland, rather. And the artists were all struggling to come together with a consistent vision to meet the level designer's goals. Design just wasn't going well. It was a hot mess. And at one point, two, two, two team members came together. Level designer Jean-Paul LeBreton and artist Hoagie de la Plante. They proposed, proposed a short experiment in which they would put themselves aside, God forbid, and work together to co-develop a level. And what they came up with was actually in the original game. This would become the tea garden area. And Levine would later use that area as an example of a prime Bioshock space. And it became the level design example by which all the others were asked to follow. It's kind of cool. So I don't remember the tea garden space either. You remember the tea garden uh, nope. space? Nope. <laughs> no, that one. I mean, me I too. I vaguely remember. I like I I'm I'm thinking about it now, and I vaguely remember it. Like I remember, like overgrown plants and everything everywhere. It being okay. So that like I was not sure if there were like a specific spot of that area or if it was just the entire area. Man, no, I I I think it's that overgrown. Anyway. It was about at this point, too, that Ken Levine also found the theme for Bioshock as we know it today. It came to him one day while he was walking at Rockefeller Center in New York City. He recognized how unique the Art Deco style was, along with the imagery that he found around the building, such as the statue of Atlas nearby. And he thought to himself that he had never before seen this style of art an architecture and decor in a first-person shooter before. This was a space he had never experienced in gaming. So he did some research on it. He found that the history of the Rockefeller Center itself really fell into a great story concept. And that story, really simple, is that they started construction on the Rockefeller Center prior to the Great Depression. And because of the Depression the primary financiers for the Rockefeller Center pulled out of the project and John J. Rockefeller Jr. himself backed the remaining construction to complete the project himself. He was quoted in one magazine as being a great man building an architectural triumph against all odds. Now this follows the theme um, of Bioshock because Levine followed the theme and he loosely based the character of Andrew Ryan and the history of Rapture on Rockefeller's story. So by this point, the backdrop of Rapture was in place and now they had to work on fitting their drone protector harvester trio concept back into it. So truth be told, there really isn't a fancy story behind the big daddy concept. They said that they decided on that uh, pretty quickly in the process. But as they started to decide what be, what would become of the drones, they really couldn't decide on anything at first. They tried bugs. They tried dogs in wheelchairs. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> doggies in wheelchairs, huh? Yeah, I mean, that'll get you every time. They should have done cats. I mean, in foresight, you know, cats are the internet darlings, so... 
but it wasn't working. None of their ideas were working because the team wanted to have the player care for these drones in some way. They needed the player to have an emotional connection Dogs and wheelchairs wasn't the answer. Well, and people hate bugs, so people don't connect with bugs at all. So yeah, so they they just couldn't find any way to make an emotional connection. Um, Well, brainstorming, someone just happened to throw out the idea of using little girls. It was not a popular idea at first. It was seen as controversial and shocking. Members of the design team recognized that the drones could be killed, which was part of the concept at the time. Stayed part of the concept, frankly. And that was considered really horrific. So they were worried that they would fall into the category of other games that were seen as being like excessively inappropriate. One comparison was made to Night Trap. Either of you know what Night Trap is? <laughs> yes, I know what Night Trap oh, is. There we go. At least we got that I one. I haven't played it, but I know exactly what it is. <laughs> Nope, oh, that one eludes me. Oh, Night Trap Pajama Party. Night Trap is a full motion video game. I think Sega CD era. Yeah, something that like is that. controversial. It was one of the first M-rated games. Might even I believe be so. And the whole concept is you're a guy like stalking a bunch of, I think, teenage to young adult girls at like a slumber party like overnight by setting like traps and stuff like that. And it was just gory and sexual and too much for the time. So, okay. Yep, 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 yep. I think we vaguely touched on it way in the beginning, like episode three or four when we did the Mortal Kombat episode. I know when we talked about um, censorship in video games, I think is the last time we talked about Night Trap because it always falls into that conversation. And yes, I remember three years ago because I'm lame like that. So as Ken Levine continued to work on the story, he began to incorporate the ideas of dystopian and utopian thinkers from the 20th century. He included Ayn Rand, Aldous Huxley, and George Orwell, all really popular figures in today's day and age. Ayn Rand contributed her objective philosophy The idea that a man should be driven by selfishness and not altruism. And that's the theme throughout the games. That's the theme throughout (laughs) the games. Exactly. And he kind of fleshed this out as a concept to that. That became the philosophy behind the city of rapture and the, you know, behind that of Andrew Ryan, that whole concept of, of Ayn Rand's objectivism. And this philosophy was extended to the drones, who by this point were now recognized as the Little Sisters. And it became one of the major design choices around the story, which of course, play it or not play it, you have the choice of whether to save the Little Sisters at each point or harvest them for your benefit. But even still, they had to fight for it because the initial mechanic around the little sisters 2k games who was the publisher of bioshock they didn't like this mechanic the the way it was set up initially was kind of opposite of the way it is now the idea was that the player would prey on the little sister first which would then in turn set up the encounter with the big daddies and 2k games the way they framed it and looked at it is they refused to ship a game where the player would get punished for doing the right thing. 
So if they didn't set up these encounters, they couldn't harvest the atom, no advancement, no big daddies. So they refused. They didn't like that. They didn't like that at all. So the uh, stalking the little girl wasn't the issue. It was the uh, not. It was the punishing players for doing the objective was the problem. Yeah, pretty much. That's the way it's framed. So, huh. so the concept was tweaked some more, and eventually it became the game that we know today. Um, speaking of choice, the choice to leave the little sisters alone or harvest the atom. The game was originally only supposed to have one ending, but the development team was pressured by 2K Games to craft multiple endings based on your choice of whether or not to harvest the girls. As Levine continued to flesh out the harvesters and the rest of the story, you know, he found himself using more influences, um, such as Logan's Run. You can find elements of, you can find Orwell's 1980. Nine eighty four. I wrote eighty found. I know it's eighty four. It's the year I was born. Uh, Orwell's nineteen eighty four. I tried to avoid saying the year. So the idea of mind control was in the game was actually inspired by the Manchurian Candidate. It was designed to provide a better reason to limit the player's actions as opposed to the traditional use of just using locked doors. And the team all agreed that you would be controlled by a key phrase, but they struggled with coming up with one that wouldn't reveal Atlas's true nature. So the famous phrase that y'all spilled out already, would you kindly, actually came from work on marketing materials for the game that had asked readers hypothetical questions, such as, would you kill people, even innocent people, to survive? And based on those marketing materials, they stumbled on the phrase, would you kindly there's that's, that's really it. (laughs) So, but even with all the design and story elements in place, the team at irrational games, they really couldn't get their stuff together. It's said that Levine was very distrustful of new team members because he fought tooth and nail to maintain what was his vision of Bioshock. And it's also well known that Paul Helquist the game's lead designer was often omitted from key design meetings because he was so different in nature from Ken Levine. They didn't get along. There's actually an Easter egg in the remastered version of the game where under certain conditions, the player can end up looking at an object with the description. Paul Helquist did not do his job. Oh, (laughs) so the way it came out is both Levine and the game's main programmer, who is Chris Klein, they confirmed that the message was a cheeky jab at Helquist left as a debugging message. It's real. At one point, Klein and Helquist were developing the systems to show descriptions of objects to players when looked at, and Helquist offered to complete all the necessary descriptions in the game. So to jokingly prod Helquist along, Klein put Helquist did not do his job as the default message within the code. <laughs> And while this message was actually changed for the original release, when they went to go back and make the remastered version, they based it off some code from a, from a version at an earlier point in the development process, and no one actually remembered that the message existed, and therefore they never changed it. Oh, so it's just more they forgot about it. Yeah, they forgot <laughs> they about it. Intentionally did our jab. <laughs> no. So to his credit, Hellquist took the Easter egg in good humor, 
he tweeted that other Easter eggs should have been added that said, if you are enjoying this game, Paul Helquist did a good job. So um, apparently they all took it in strides. So in January of 2007, a critical play test of the game took place and the initial feedback from players was mostly negative. Some of the issues noted was that the game was too dark. They had no idea where to do, where to go or what to do. And they distrusted Atlas who was voiced at the time in a Southern drawl, which was described as a lecherous Colonel Sanders. <laughs> oh, 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 wow. I didn't hear about that one, but yeah, I can see why. Yeah. Lecherous Colonel Sanders, little girls might not be favorable. No, no, no. There were a lot of things working against him. But truth be told, in the final months of development, the team really took these criticisms to heart. They improved the lighting. They implemented a quest marker and they used an Irish voice for Atlas to make him sound more trustworthy. Another last-minute playtest, like literally the month before kind of playtest, revealed that players felt absolutely no connection to the player character, whose name is Jack. The next day, Ken Levine and the design team came up with a really cheap fix, they called it, for this. They added the initial cutscene within the plane, and the subsequent plane crash, which helped set the time frame, placed a player in the role of the character, and alluded to the would you kindly line later in the game. Levine would later liken this approach to the initial aircraft crash in the television show Lost, which also quickly established character and setting. And with that, in August of 2007, the team released Bioshock to the world. You know, it's funny, Rob, how it took all the pieces to slowly come into place for the team to get together and make a successful project. Our podcast has very much been the same way, hasn't it? It sure has, Dave. You know, in the beginning, we really struggled to just sit down and successfully record each episode. Yeah, it was such a mess to actually record an episode that was easy to edit. We tried so many different solutions and had so many awful weeks, so many problems. Do you remember that one time we recorded an entire episode only to find that the software we were using didn't actually sync up and we lost the entire thing? We ended up having to re-record and put the episode together in pretty much one day. And by we, I mean you. Yeah, I remember. If (laughs) If we had kept that mess up, I wasn't so sure if I would be able to do this podcast week in, week out. I don't think I could continuously handle the stress of having to play did this record roulette every week. But then we found Zencaster and it has absolutely changed the way that we go about this. That's right, Dave. With Zencaster, it's super easy to set up high quality audio or video podcast recordings that sound great and sync up with one another easily. Absolutely. All I have to do is create recording room. I send everybody a link. They click on it. You tell the software what speakers and microphone you're using. And that's it. Zencast literally does the rest. And they just keep adding more and more features. Now you can do your own post-production right on Zencaster's website. They'll help your podcast sound professional with only a few clicks of a button. And there's some other cool features too. They'll generate English transcripts for each of your episodes They'll provide you with advanced show analytics to give you the data to help your podcast grow. In short, Zencaster is an entire set of tools designed to help you record, edit, publish, and promote your podcast. Everything that you need 
to be a successful creator. And for our listeners, we have a special offer. If you go to zencaster.com forward slash pricing and you use our offer code memory card lane, you'll get 30% off the first month of any Zencaster premium paid monthly plan. That's Z-E-N-C-A-S-T-R dot com forward slash pricing and use the code memory card lane for 30% off the first month of any paid Zencaster plan. Should have rolled with pain. <laughs> I had pain in there. It's it's painful. Doing a pot, no, it's not painful. With Zencaster, it's incredibly easy. If you've ever thought about starting your own podcast or are looking to better your current podcasting situation, look no further than Zencaster, the easiest way to make high-quality podcasts. And speaking of high-quality guys... Let's talk Bioshock. Yay. Now we actually get to talk about the game. Yay. So do we remember the story at all? Oh, yes. I remember the story. Uh, I, 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 no. I, all right, let me go back. I remember, I remember Bioshock. I don't remember the hype around Bioshock. I don't know if there was hype around Bioshock. I feel what like was... there was some hype around it. I remember around that time I was getting like Game Informer magazines and I remember seeing that a few times. It's actually funny is that I didn't get when I first played the game, I didn't buy it. One of my friends was just like, hey, you should play this game and he lent me his copy. Nice. I'm trying to remember. So it came out in 2007. I would have been done with college at that point, And I would have been what working as a manager at Best Buy. So I probably would have known. <laughs> I would bet. You're I know right? you're in the gaming section every day at work. You're like, I know. damn employee discount on my paycheck going to work. I know. But I remember Bioshock. <laughs> like I remember, I remember having it. I remember getting it early on i mean i'm i've never been a day one type person that's not been my thing but i remember loading it up and that initial cutscene. like you start out on a plane and then the plane crashes and you're in i don't know let's say the ocean and like everything's on fire and you just get like corralled into uh, which a building in the middle of nowhere that starts taking you down. Right. And as you're going down, there's these, like the art style gets established, right? Like the, you, you see statues of, I'm assuming Atlas or whatever it is at the time. They're, they're like Atlas statues. It's not statues of Atlas. Andrew Ryan. They're probably Andrew yeah. Ryan statues, aren't they? Yeah, probably. And I remember like, like, like the famous saying, like, what is this? What what is the worth the sweat of a man's brow? Or we're getting into all that, like, yep. like, you know, stuff like that. Yep. And uh. and then and then you go down and get into what the tunnels or the elevator and you're like it unveils rapture underwater. And I remember my mind was just blown like there. I always say that there are like moments I have in gaming like that are always like, holy crap, like, you know, that this is something that you've never experienced before. And the 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 moment it opened up to that underwater and you see this just underwater civilization and the art style and everything, you're just like, 
okay, this is going to be cool, you know? Um, it was fantastic. It was so fantastic. All right, so Bioshock takes place in 1960. You play as Jack. He discovers the underwater city of Rapture, which was built by business magnate Andrew Ryan to be his own isolated utopia. There was a genetic material discovered that granted superhuman powers named Adam. And that discovery basically caused the city to quickly and violently go into decline. Right? Yep. Jack attempts to escape. He has to fight all these Adam-assessed enemies. He has to fight these what the protectors, which we know now as big daddies, these really cool, big giant creatures in like those old diving suit outfits, such a cool aesthetic. Um, and he also meets a few not so crazy people down there that help him survive and learn about Rapture's past. Right. Yeah. yeah the not so crazy is relative. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. It's a good uh, way to put it. Well, but, you're absolutely right because the the catch to everything is that like, okay, so if we go back to A and Rand's objectivism, it, it states that people are selfish, basically, right? Everyone's looking out for themselves, and that fits into everyone that you meet. Everyone has their own agenda. Yep. Uh, the people in Rapture all seem to share a common theme of very, very self centered, very much well up their own ass in their. Um, pursuits yeah um it kind of played into i believe it was mentioned in a lot of the logs throughout it that andrew ryan was kind of specific about the people who would be coming to rapture because it's supposed to be a secret city for the um basically the gifted people the people who want freedom the people who are really good at their sciences their arts um which, of course, you know, putting a bunch of narcissistic people in a city under the ocean. I don't see what would go wrong with that one. No, that's just a, you know, recipe for a brilliant utopia, right? Uh, it, it was... I didn't see any flaws in his plan. <laughs> no, no whatsoever. Yeah, uh, I guess the one thing he was missing was an orange uh, spray tan. That's, that's exactly <laughs> right. Although, so to be fair, he was a little bit more competent than if he did get an orange spray tan. Yeah, very true. He actually accomplished something by building Rapture. So, all the other one wants is to, I don't know, take the people to Rapture. I mean, something, something, something. Yeah. See, Andrew Ryan wanted to build a city underwater. Someone else wanted to build a wall. <laughs> yeah. And One of them succeeded. That's true. <laughs> So one of the one of the things that made Bioshock great was that there were many different ways that you could approach the game, like the battles, right? You have these things called plasmids, you know, that that genetic material atom that grants superhuman powers would give you you could use these plasmids to have things like you could shoot fire out of your fingertips or hands, I'm assuming. If yeah, I it was like correctly. 
it was kind of like your hands. I wasn't really specific about what part of your hand that felt like. Because it just kind of had like a fireball in your yeah. hand. <laughs> you could do electricity. You could do ice. I'm going to miss a ton of them, but those are the big three because I can I can speak to those. So Going back to the insects earlier, you can shoot like wasps or like hornets out of oh, your hand too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a that's plasma one. too. That was one that was a little uh, not so well liked by me. <laughs> Seeing but, little like holes and stuff in your hand with the insects crawling all over it. Ugh. Yeah, that's uh, uh tryptophobia, huh? Yeah. And the thing of it is is like when you approached enemies, there were different ways you can go about it. So like there could be an enemy standing in water and you could electrify mm-hmm. the water and it would electrify the enemy and kill them. There were weren't there oil or gas slicks that you could light there on are. fire? Yep. So that was another one. Um, I hacked everything. There was a hack. You could oh, hack yep. things in there. So like yep. there were like turrets throughout different levels and I would hack them to turn them on people. And so what's kind of funny about that is they seem to change the hacking mechanic each game. They did. Yeah. Because uh, the first one, I don't quite understand how this is hacking, but basically you played a game of connect the pipes from the start to the finish of it right yeah 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 it's just like i wasn't aware that uh robotics involved two pipes of liquid and that changed attack directives it was it was it made no sense frankly but whatever or it's so advanced that you guys can't understand oh is that how it goes (laughs) God, it's all just... about hydraulic pressure changes that can flip the override to the alternate programming. Nice. You sure about that? It's a video game. We can make it whatever we want. Yeah, we sure can. We sure can. <laughs> it's one of those things where they barely explain it, so therefore there's a plausibility of it being logical. And then just, I mean, that... For me, I'll be honest, I've always really liked this aesthetic, like games that take this this older art deco or even a little earlier aesthetic. I've always been a big fan of. So like I talked about the underwater scene from Bioshock uh, being one of those moments for me. Another moment for me that's like plays off similar is uh, when you walk out of the vault in Fallout 3. And that's the same like 50s aesthetic, right? So there's just something about this time period that does it for me. And these games all stick out. But the point is, is that like it never went away for me. One of my favorite things is this Rapture is such a beautiful setting. And it it never stopped. Like the, the, the level design, the art design, everything went through the entire game. And it was just so cool. To get to explore Rapture, I mean, frankly, that it, I don't know any other way to put it. So, I found it kind of interesting about how everything it's feels like, remark correctly, the timeline that you arrive not too long after the big downfall kind of happens for it, right. where yep. it really starts going to shit. So, you kind of see it in stages of decay as yeah. opposed to its glory. Um, yeah, I mean, we never, we don't get to see Rapture in its glory, which is sad in a way. So, um, I believe 
I don't entirely quote me on this one, but Bioshock Infinite Burial at Sea, you might be able to. Do you in Burial at Sea? That's a good one. I'll have to think about that for a second because I, I that's one of the few things of Bioshock I haven't played yet. Burial at uh, Sea? Yeah. Maybe I haven't played Burial at Sea either. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I just, I love it. I absolutely love Rapture. I really enjoy Bioshock. These, this is a series I enjoy flat out. I don't know any way to put it. It's fantastic. It, it's just the art style and the ability to play the way you want to play. Um, and the story. I mean, Ken Levine for all the crap about him being a, poor manager which that comes up in his development stuff again and again and again yeah that um, sound from the history of it it definitely sounds like he actually might fit in with his uh with the denizens of rapture a little bit <laughs> yeah uh but it shows that his background is in drama and dramatic writing because the man is fantastic at crafting a narrative throughout his entire history i mean the system shot games are fantastic they're I mean, they're, if you like Bioshock, you'd love System Shock. Um, Thief is great for that, you know, and it just he 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 pushes it through, pushes it through the Bioshock series. He's a great storyteller, that's for sure. So, anything else you'd like to pipe in about Bioshock, either one of you? Nope, we good. Okay, cool. So let's talk about what Bioshock has become because it's it's got quite a legacy. You know, we, we talked about other games. In 2010, we got Bioshock 2, which, I mean, just a little bit. You go back to... Basically, you go back to Rapture eight years later and all of the dynamics have changed because of the what you did in the first Bioshock game. And you are dealing with the consequences of essentially all the power voids you created with all everything that you did in the first game. I guess that's a good yep. way to put it without giving away yep. too much. Yep. Um, and then in 2013, we got Bioshock infinite. I honestly really love Bioshock infinite. It it's not rapture. They went from underwater to a city suspended in the air and it's named Columbia. And I think it has a, another fantastic story. So, uh, um, a little fun fact to get people interested into uh, Bioshock Infinite. Throughout the game, you will hear songs that are not quite that the same as what you're familiar with. Yeah, They are different renditions of many popular songs, such as Girls Want to Have Fun. And um, there's another Beach Boys one. I cannot remember its name, but it's very, <laughs> which is kind of sad because it's one of the more popular songs from it. Hmm. interesting that that actually has piqued my interest quite a bit well i really like uh i really like infinite it it's a story that really resonates to now like really resonates to now because levine based the story that he wrote on the concept of american exceptionalism um well kind of bringing in some recent events like the occupy movement from the time and so it, it's just it, like you go there and 
I'm telling you, it's just a story that really like it hits all the right points with the where we are in the world right now. So, yeah, uh, I'm, it's one of those things where uh, uh, I like playing Bioshock, but now I'm starting to feel it's a little too real when I go back and look it's at very them. true. It's so uh, true. It, it feels it hits a little too close to home now. I don't know if I can replay them. I mean, I mean, to be fair, Bioshock Infinite, you know, Columbia is like you go there when it's on the verge of civil war and civil war is driven by like institutional racism and elitism, which hello. Yeah, that's a yeah, that's a that might be going on right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, Infinite's a great game. It's a fantastic game. So but where do we go from there? We know that there is a bioshock title in development we haven't heard about it in a while so officially it's still in development in 2019 2k officially announced that they were developing a new bioshock title but it was years away from release um at this point irrational games the company that made the first bioshock it doesn't exist anymore 2k holds the rights to bioshock and the current Bioshock is in development by a studio called Cloud Chamber, which was a it's basically a 2K internal studio, I'm guessing, created to do this specifically. But the team that's working on the game does have some Bioshock alumni. Uh, the artist who created that T-Chamber experiment, Hogarth de la Plante, is the creative director. So he goes way back. The um, lead art director is Scott Sinclair. He also worked on the original Bioshock. And um, the design director is Jonathan Pelling, who did level design for Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite. So it's got people involved, in my opinion, that have been invested in the Bioshock franchise since 2007 and probably want to do right by it, which is really reassuring. Um, But beyond that, we frankly haven't really heard anything since 2019. So who knows? But I hope we get one soon, you know? Because another Bioshock game would be fantastic. Um, okay, so there have been... There is other media in the Bioshock universe. Say what? There, there is a novel called Bioshock Rapture, which was a... Which, which, which is... It exists now, Dave. It's a book. It is a prequel to the first Bioshock. Also, when Bioshock Infinite came out, there was a novella released called Bioshock Infinite Mind in Revolt. It offers insight into the world of Columbia about at the time in which Infinite is set. So if you want to take in more Bioshock, there is books that you can read. There have also been multiple attempts to get films made in the Bioshock universe. Since as far back as 2008, they've been announcing film deals, though all of them have fallen through. The most recent one occurred in February of 2022, where it was announced that a film was in in development at Netflix. In August of 2022, they announced who the writer and the director were. They're not that notable. They're not nobodies, but they're not that notable. Uh, But we haven't heard anything since August of 2022. So who the heck knows? Yeah. uh, Netflix specials don't quite inspire the confidence that it used to. Yeah, for sure. Okay, hold on. I take it that you didn't watch Wednesday. Wednesday was good. Oh, Wednesday was, I thought it was fantastic. 
So I thought that was a really good original. Uh, so this, hopefully but, it's something like that because I think that aesthetic, like that vibe, like yeah. But there's but there's going there's always good. It depends on where they take things, right? So like Wednesday was fantastic when they remade um, what was the anime they redid as a live action? Like really, oh, I'm drawing a Blake. It's one of my favorites, and I'm drawing um, a freaking done a couple of them. So you have your Full Metal Alchemist. You no. have your Death Note. No. Nope. Um, more recent, what's going to be really soon is One Piece. I saw that one, but it was one they did last year. They 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 did it really freaking popular. They they recreated an anime, and it's going to freaking kill me. Was um, it the Dragon Ball movie? No, no that's a long time ago. <laughs> I know, but I just I can't think of any live action animes yeah. that have been recent, like. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with Death Note was the one I was thinking. No, what's the what's the one I like that's like Samurai? Oh, my God. Samurai Jack? No, um, I was so freaking excited when this came out, and I'm so embarrassed right now. And um, how, how to, how to freak... Uh, Teenage how, Mutant Ninja Turtles? No. See, is it ca- there's a Cowboy Bebop one. That's it. Sorry, Cowboy. I, I was thinking Samurai Cowboy, and it's Cowboy Bebop, so... Yeah, it's like, it only lasts one season. Yeah. So, like, that, you know, there was a lot of promise behind that. And to be fair, like, they did some, I mean, they, they recreated some of it beat for beat. It's not awful, but it's also nothing special. Is why it's only mean beat for Bob. Ah, very good. Very good. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> that's the one I was thinking of. Thank you. Thank you. So, who knows? You, you never know what's going to come of a Netflix release, but like it's out there we can all hope can't we indeed so you can hope <laughs> yeah i i will hold on to my hope so the future of bioshock is up in the air the future of bioshock films is up in the air it's been a while since we heard anything we know the license is still out there as for ken levine irrational games shut down after the release of bioshock infinite in 2014 levine frankly just had enough of what he called being stressed out by these big projects, giant teams, millions of dollar, you know, budgets, uh, lots of pressure to keep it going. So he, he 86, the whole thing we're done, but he still wanted to make games and he convinced 2k that he still had worth to them, you know, as, as a company. So he took about 15 other people with him and they founded a studio called ghost story games they are said to be a studio more focused on smaller narrative driven titles. They've been working on a project for a bunch of years since like 2017. And we got our first glimpse of it at the game awards in 2022. It is titled Judas and it is said to be a game that has quote unquote narrative Legos that can be used to alter story elements, making it a very replayable game with multiple outcomes. We also know that it's going to be a first-person science fiction game in the same vein of System Shock. And all else we know is that we can expect it no later than March of 2025. Damn. There you go. And that, my friends, is pretty much Bioshock. There you go. I'm done. That's me rambling for an hour. Uh, not quite. You still have another minute left. Night. <laughs>
Don't worry, we'll fill that in. So as we went through the story of Bioshock, we talked about a lot of other games and a lot of other people. There was, of course, uh, Night Trap back in our earlier episode about uh, censorship. There was Warren Spector and Deus Ex. That was a fascinating episode. Warren Spector is a very interesting person. I would very much suggest you to go back and look at that. I think I said it was episode 147, 146, somewhere in there. So lots of other really cool stories. We have, in fact, as of this episode, Rob, three years of interesting episodes, don't we? Holy shit, you are right. Today is 156. That means that we have been recording for three straight years. We do weekly episodes, we, we, we record, and we do this every week, and we have missed, what, one week in three years? Yeah, you damn hurricane, hurricane? southern yeah, sorry. version. I was in the middle of a hurricane. I, I apologize. So there we go. You have three years, 155 other episodes, other stories uh, that you may not know much about in gaming history to peruse. And you can do so by checking them all out on our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob? What else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, people can find a calendar of previous and upcoming episodes. Maybe put in a little cute little words about what we're going to be talking about or ask that you want to join the episode because you might have more knowledge than Rob does and offer a lot more insight and a lot more fun conversations. You can also find links to things such as our Patreon and our social medias. I am on multiple sites as Rob underscore O underscore Raptor. Dave? I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong because I am very, very wrong all the time. That's it. Oh, our pay- Daniel, do you do anything on social media? Uh, Not very much. <laughs> That's okay. I don't blame you. I don't do very much either. Yeah, I have I don't them. Either. <laughs> yeah, we, we have them. We don't use them. I... I ha- that's it. That's all I'll say about that. And of course, everyone, now I'm realizing that I didn't do last week, but our Patreon. Sorry, Patreon subscribers. You should have called me out on my bullshit. Uh, every week I post unedited and no ad versions of our podcast episodes, which I will catch up on uh, very promptly. Boo, Dave. Do more work. Boo, Dave. Do m- Look, I have been barely hanging on with my nursing my back injury lately, so... I I'm glad to be sitting upright in a chair at the moment. That's a success. Very good. Uh, Big success. Yeah. With your back injury, uh, I can see why it's taken so long for it to heal considering that you seem to carry these episodes. Ooh, he's good. (laughs) Damn. That was good. You know what, man? I'm still going to get you back for that Mario party round. Don't you worry. And now I got this to add on to it. That was good. I never took, you stole a star from me. I never stole a star back. No, just all my fucking coins. I, I, I just obliterated your entire <laughs> coin stash. Like 100 coins. I was... <laughs> it was only 60 at the time when I Oh, uh, no, no. I, I remember differently. I'm uh, blah, blah. You're an evil person. Stop it. <laughs> nice. Very nice. I don't, uh, I don't mind. I like the storytelling. It happens to be my specialty. So, all right. Each week, we tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, be about a person, can be about a technology, 
Uh, we've done it on places before. It just needs to be some topic relevant to gaming and have some relevance to this current week. This week, we covered Bioshock, which came out ooh, 16 years ago, huh? Hmm. 16 years ago this week. One nice. of the best parts about doing this podcast every week is that when we do our research to tell you these stories, we learn things. As you teach people and you prepare to teach people, you inevitably will always learn something yourself. It's a beautiful cycle of teaching and learning. And in recognition of said cycle, we like to go around every week and talk about what we each have taken away from the episode. So, Daniel, I'm actually going to start with you. What did you learn today? Um, well, I really didn't know much about the development of Bioshock in its history. I knew that it was based, it's a, it was a spiritual successor to System Shock 2, and I was aware of Thief being somewhat of an inspiration to it and related to it, not quite the specifics on it. Um, yeah. So a lot. Yep. Rob. Hell yeah. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is that Atlas was previously a, a lecherous Colonel Sanders. Cause that is freaking hilarious to me. I could just, <laughs> I can just hear it in my brain. Just like, I mean, it does help that uh, the phrase is, would you kindly exactly like, yeah, that's that, such a kind, that's such a normal thing to hear from a Southern man. It's especially the ones that are a little bit dicey. Like, can't little you look at him and you're like hey he looks a little suspicious over there so are you saying that it's like the male southern equivalent of bus bless your heart kind of yeah it's like, like you know you know that right like that's yes a, that's, okay i'm just imagining I would, I would is so. someone saying which kindly fetch that little girl over there yeah 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 exactly <laughs> and yeah. i am just seeing all the allegations start popping up <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty ridiculous um, uh, what about you, Dave? What's your big takeaway? I knew nothing about all the different iterations of this story. I didn't know that they started science fiction. I didn't know that we had some weird, weird mutated Nazi lab at some point. Um, I, I had I no mean, clue that they spent so much time working I felt through. Like, uh, Tannenbaum was her name. Was a German scientist from yeah. you know around the right era. Yeah, so yeah. the Nazis part wasn't so surprising to me. Yeah, and I mean mutated Adam. And especially in like Bioshock 2, if you see the splices in that one, oh boy. True statement. That's very true. I really? Yeah. I mean, in hindsight, you can see the influence, but I didn't know they existed. And I think it's pretty. I'm always fascinated to watch video games go through different versions like that. Like we cover that every chance I get, you know? So it's really fascinating to watch it. And then this one was topped off with like the, the, the icing on the cake, right? Where we found out that they had, they did play testing within months of release. And I mean, just to your point, lecherous Colonel Sanders, you know? And then of course we had to change the voice to Irish to make it more trustworthy because I know that I have an Irish friend or two that listen to this bullshit. <laughs> That's all I must say about that. I'm so. sure they're going to have a lot to say to you for that one there. Dave. I know. 100% I can't wait to get to get beat up for that one. So, yeah, uh, trustworthy Irish people. Go go eat your potatoes. Hey, potatoes are good. Drink your also, vodka. I'm like 50% Irish. I love potatoes. I love potatoes. So I will, I will eat potatoes with them. But yeah. Well, Rob, I guess real quickly before I take it out of here, three years, huh? 
Three years, Dave. Who would have thunk it? It's pretty crazy. And I don't... I, I would have thought... If we had gone back to the beginning, I would have thought that, like, at this point, I would have been, like, losing steam. But I don't feel like I'm losing steam in general. We both know that there are weeks I'm like, ugh, I just don't have this in me. And I struggle with it, week like, on a weekly basis. But not, like, in general. Like, I don't hate this and I want to be like, yeah, I'm done. Three years, pff, screw this, you know? So. Well, um, hey, when you love what you do, it's not work, is it? It's an impressive achievement. Like three straight years, three straight years. What else can we say we've stuck with for three straight years? Uh, school. Wow, I was paying someone for that. So uh, marching band. Okay, fine. You win. Shit. <laughs> okay, let me You're rephrase married. that. At this point in our lazy ass adult lives, what else can we say we've stuck with for three years other than our jobs? Uh, I'm still working on the same car. (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. Good Lord. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, first of all, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. It's always nice to have uh, someone else that's not Rob talk. Hey, that's all I'm going to say. But for real, thank you. I really appreciate you joining us. It's been a pleasure. You're more than welcome to come and join us anytime we do a topic that you want to or don't. Sometimes it's fun when people show us and they don't know anything. Um, join us and don't know anything because yeah, that's Rob I, every week. So yeah, not knowing anything. Uh, looking at your upcoming schedule, that would be all up my alley for not knowing <laughs> anything. <laughs> yeah, well, aside from maybe Halo, I think was on there. Yeah. Oh yeah, Mass Effect too. I think everybody knows Halo. Rob, is there anything that you'd like to add to today's episode before I take it into next week? Well, Dave, I first want to say a special thank you as well to Daniel. It's been a pleasure having you on here. It's always great when we get to hang out. And uh, it's really great being able to share. Excuse me. It's really great being able to share in a game, you know, because that's it's kind of what we do. We share in our games. It's, It's the way that we have fun. And it's always nice to be able to talk about things that we really enjoy and share our knowledge with the world. So thank you. I just want to say a moment in there. I'm really excited about like the rest of our year. Like there's some, there's some like knockout titles. I mean, we're going to cover super Mario brothers, metal gear solid. We have a Tony Hawk pro skater episode missed, which Rob has no clue about portal shadow, the Colossus tomb Raider. Like we've got some knockouts. He said Halo, Mass Effect, Twisted Metal is in there. Rob, that's... <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. We're going to cover the original Sony PlayStation. I mean, like, the rest of the year is... It's solid. Like, it's some really solid episodes planned. So, you know, be excited, everyone. I'm excited. I'm super yeah, excited. Yeah, be excited. But next week... Next week, Rob... We're going Next to look at it. We're going to look at a game that got its start as a project known as Bling Bling. Uh, yeah, I'm oh. not even I'm not even joking. <laughs> All right. Published on August 29th, 2006. Saints Row is an action adventure game that follows a character who joins the Third Street gang after they save his life. And he helps them rise to prominence in the fictional town of Stillwater. So join us again next week as we rise from within on yet another trip. Dumb memory card lane. Do the thing. Skibidi dum 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 doo doo.